Hi everyone, and a very warm welcome to the Dr. Christian Heim podcast. We're really happy you joined us. My name is Caroline Heim, and I'm sitting here with Dr. Christian Heim. Hello again. And today we're going to be talking about how you can prevent anxiety in your life. This is part of a three-part series on anxiety. So, Christian, can you give us an overview for this podcast? Okay. So today we're here to talk about anxiety, what it really is, and how much of a problem clinical anxiety is, what contributes to it, and most importantly, what you can do to help prevent it in your life. Okay. So what does someone with anxiety look like? Well, Strangely, somebody with an anxiety disorder can look like somebody we admire. And I'm going to use the example of somebody I'll call Dave. Dave is 35. He's in sales. He's pumped. He's excited. He's making a lot of money quickly. He's living the dream. The sky seems to be the limit for Dave. He's leading the exciting glamour life. He goes skydiving, whitewater rafting. But he gets caught up in it all. He spends all his time working. Uh, He's got hardly any sleep. He's under pressure to do better and better. He's worried if he can keep it up. He feels bad if he misses a sale. So now he's somebody who's keyed up, tense, irritable, not much sleep. And to calm down, he starts drinking more. Then to stay pumped, he starts using cocaine because he can afford it. All of a sudden, he's got no time for people, not for his friends, not for his family. He loses his girlfriend. And it got to the stage where one of his managers found him crying in a corner, shaking uncontrollably, and he was an anxious wreck. He needed to come into hospital, and his diagnosis was anxiety. Wow. It really seems like Dave was leading the kind of exciting life we all want, but... Uh, Yeah, but... And this is what's interesting. Dave's story is actually the story of many lawyers, business people, and people who are chasing success. What starts off as excitement and enthusiasm can end up in debilitating anxiety and even depression. Mm, We saw it with Dave. So how can this excitement turn to this debilitating anxiety then? Well, both are emotions. Excitement is an emotion. Anxiety is an emotion too. They are both normal emotions. In fact, anxiety is actually good for us. It has a good purpose. And I'll explain that more as we go on. Mm -hmm. It's like they're two sides of the same coin. Excitement is fine, but debilitating anxiety, of course, is too much. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I had a bit of time at an airport. So I just went outside and just for a bit of fun and excitement, I just watched the planes, taxi and take off. Uh, This airport lets you get really quite close to the planes and being so close to them was actually quite exciting. But if I was actually on the tarmac and planes were just missing me, my anxiety levels and my fear levels will start going through the roof. This is the thing. The excitement is adrenaline fueled and it feels good. But anxiety and fear are also adrenaline fueled and they become a problem. Now I want you to imagine that I'm there and I have a monkey with me, right? A monkey shows its excitement and its anxiety louder and quicker than any of us, all right? So it's excited with me. But if I start getting closer to the plane, it starts becoming anxious. It starts getting louder, screaming for dear life. And all of a sudden, I have to make sure there's not an activist around because it looks like I'm being cruel to my monkey. But that's why I like to explain that anxiety is like a monkey. 
It can be excited. It can be alarmed. But it can also be a loud, obnoxious nuisance. Hmm. Okay. So anxiety is like a monkey. Yes. A little monkey is like an adrenaline rush. It can be playful. It can be exciting. It can be fun. It can be alarmed and it can let you know of danger. And this is actually very helpful, but it can also be too much. It can be unruly, annoying and a nuisance, and it gets in the way of getting things done. The monkey excitement is there while you watch a jumbo jet. The monkey alarm is when danger is near. The annoying screeching monkey is like too much anxiety. It gets in the way. But you can train your monkey. Your monkey can be useful, it can be fun, and you can train your anxiety. To train your monkey anxiety, you need to think and prepare. That's really what this podcast is about. It's about training your anxiety like a monkey. Okay, so how can you train it? All right, you train it like Aladdin trained Abu. Ah, the film. The film Aladdin, that's right. As you recall, Aladdin needs to go into the Cave of Wonders. He needs to go and get the lamp, all right? Now, the Cave of Wonders is no ordinary cave. We see that it just kills people. It's a giant tiger head, all right? Now, what gives Aladdin the courage to go in there and get the lamp? Sure, he made a promise to an old prisoner, but it's mainly to show the courage and, as we know, it's to get the girl in the end. Now, Abu the little monkey, is actually Aladdin's anxiety. Because you've got to imagine Disney's made this film and they can't have Aladdin talking to himself saying, we got to do this, Aladdin, we got to do this, Aladdin. So they give him a monkey. And the monkey can be fun and exciting, but it also gets scared and it gets annoying. So Abu represents Aladdin's anxiety and his mischievous emotions. So he's a kind of like a, a little sidekick, though, but he's uh, he's funny, but he's also... There for a purpose. That's exactly yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, he's a sidekick. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and Aladdin has to fight against his anxiety. So he says things like this to Abu. Stop it. We're going to do this anyway. I'm not giving in to you. We can't just walk away. And then he gives Abu jobs to do. Abu, the little monkey, is intelligent and he becomes useful. And he also gets in the way and makes some mistakes, just like our anxiety does to us. All right. So Abu looks out for dangers. He helps find the lamp. He helps get out of the cave. And he also enjoys the excitement of the adventure. And here's the thing. We can use our anxiety when we train it to help us do things better, to help figure things out, to succeed and to enjoy the adventure of life. But if the little monkey anxiety gets too much or too unruly, it gets in our way. How can we make our anxiety useful then? Well, actually, we all use our anxiety and make it useful all the time. I'll, I'll give you a few examples. Bear in mind that anxiety helps you get things done like this. If you have an exam coming up, you think about what you need to do to prepare and you prepare for the exam. Anxiety helps you. If you've got a big game coming up in your sport, anxiety helps you prepare and be pumped up for the day. If you've got a big date coming up, it helps you prepare and put your best foot forward. Anxiety helps you climb a mountain because it helps you prepare and be cautious rather than careless. Uh, when you've got an interview coming up, anxiety will keep you focused if you use it with think and prepare. 
And anxiety is that emotion that helps you do better. It helps you prepare it when it gets too much that it becomes a problem. Two brains sort of get sharpened in a way with anxiety well, through the right. adrenaline. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. It does. Okay. So anxiety is emotion that helps us do better, but too much gets in the way. That's right. Anxiety is just an emotion. It's actually a very important emotion and it helps us survive. It always has. It's normal. One way to think about anxiety is that it's a body and brain response to threats in our life. For example, if you're chased by a bear, anxiety helps you run away or fight if you have to. It evokes what we call the fight or flight syndrome. It also helps you think quickly to get out of a dangerous situation. All of this is in your body to survive, but too much anxiety and you'll freeze in front of that bear. I think that you're talking about fear, aren't you, rather than anxiety? Well, yeah, I actually am because fear and anxiety are really closely related. So let's talk about the difference. Fear is a real threat. So when you've got a bear in front of you, that's fear. Anxiety, on the other hand, is an imaginary threat. So there are some people that get anxious just seeing a picture of a bear, all right? So king cobra snakes, saber-toothed tigers, bears, these are all real threats. They invoke fear. But if you look at a picture of any of those and get the fight or flight response, that's anxiety. I even know some people that will avoid looking at a picture of a bear or a snake. The threat is not real. It's anxiety. It's normal, but too much of this can be a problem. You feel it in your body. So what happens to the body when you feel fear or anxiety then? All right, so what happens is what we call fight or flight. All right, now if you're confronted by a bear, a king cobra or a saber-toothed tiger, you don't want to die, that's fair enough. So automatically your nervous system goes into fight or flight and this is fueled by adrenaline. Your heart starts pounding, it beats quicker, your breathing rate increases, blood is shunted away from your stomach towards your arms and your legs, you start to tremble and shake, you have wide open pupils, you're really focused on you what you're doing. You also want to poo and pee. Yeah, yeah, you always want to poo and pee. That's true. It's okay. True. Okay. So the theory is that it's hard to run away when you're full of poo and pee, all right? So unfortunately, <laughs> nature wants you to survive. It doesn't want you to look good. Now, the thing is that cobras and tigers and bears can kill us. So in cave dwelling times, there was a lot to fear. Now there's not. It's almost all anxiety these days, okay? Saber-toothed tigers and cobra snakes, they don't really roam our streets. But loneliness and despair, they do. We have deadlines, fear of being judged and fear of failure. All of these roam our streets, in our minds at least, and they all create anxiety. And our brains react to them as though they were saber-toothed tigers. Okay? So too much anxiety can become paralyzing. All right? This is the basis of errand paralysis or to-do list paralysis. Uh, when people just stop they freeze in life and say, I can't do any more. The fear of being judged can be so debilitating that when somebody has even finished an assignment, they just can't hand it in. They freeze with their assignment just like somebody freezes in front of a bear. This is clinical anxiety. It's not fear, which is a real threat, which is the bear. Okay, but it's, it's, it's like 
the bear, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Our body does exactly the same things, but there is no bear tearing you apart. Even your university lecturer or teacher is not going to tear you apart for handing a bad assignment in. This is all anxiety. Okay. It just all just gets too much. It gets okay. too much. And we get that response when we don't need to. It's like that monkey jumping up and down and becoming a real nuisance and getting in the way of doing things. So how much of a problem is clinical anxiety? All right. So anxiety is now the most common form of illness. Uh, Sorry, mental illness. Studies showed that more than 20% of us have some form of anxiety and some studies show that up to 50% of us have an anxiety and the rate is rising. For example, one study showed that anxiety in children is up 20% in 10 years. In fact, a lot of researchers are calling upon this to be called the age of anxiety. So just so that you know, this study showed that the average child at home in a family is now more anxious than a child in the 50s that were taken to see a psychiatrist for anxiety. Uh, I find that really alarming. That's absolutely terrible. And anxiety rates are rising everywhere. It's a big problem. Okay, so we've been talking also about um, clinical anxiety then when it gets yes. to that point. Well, so- that's when the monkey is becoming unruly and... And sort of taking over. Taking over, that's right. Okay, so what causes clinical anxiety? Monkey's not having a leash. (laughs) All right, okay. All right, so the first thing to say is that anxiety is normal. Nervous systems are designed to deal with anxiety. Anxiety can be healthy and helpful, just like a monkey can be exciting and helpful. But anxiety can get too much. It can overwhelm. It can be annoying and a nuisance. This is when it becomes clinical anxiety disorder. And look, there are big rate rises. Anxiety is increasing in all of our society. So it can't be the genetics because our genetic makeup has not changed appreciably for tens of thousands of years. When there are large rates rises in anxiety over the past 30 years, It has to be something in our environment. So genetics don't play a role? Well, I can't quite say that because that's not true. But I'm going to look at the four big things that contribute to anxiety. And in order, they are, number one, the environment. Secondly, drugs. Thirdly, some medical illnesses. And then genetics is actually the least important. But genetics still plays a bit of a role because we all inherit a personality from our biological parents. And some people are just naturally more anxious than others. But please remember that whatever we get through our genes is normal. Okay, so the second one I want to talk about is medical conditions. If you have a thyroid disorder, if you have adrenal gland dysfunction, Uh, diabetes or asthma, you may get anxiety due to these illnesses. But more important than that are drugs. First of all, medication, asthma medications and steroids and sleeping medication can actually increase anxiety. Drug withdrawal can increase anxiety. Alcohol withdrawal increases anxiety. And amphetamines and other stimulants can actually cause anxiety. So it's not actually you're just getting anxious because you're withdrawing. It's actually the drugs that can cause it. Well, the drugs actually put your mood up or down. Putting your mood up 
actually makes you more anxious. And when you withdraw something that's meant to calm you down, you're just naturally going to get more anxious. Okay. All right. So let me get on to the big one. The big one is actually our environment. I talked about two meta-analyses earlier on. They found that the biggest contributor to anxiety is the amount of disconnect that we have in our society. So in other words, we're drifting apart as people and the amount of change that we have. This leads to uncertainty. We're starting to feel unsafe because we think we're among strangers and we're starting to feel unsafe and uncertain about the future. That's what the big studies found, disconnect and the perception of being unsafe. And unfortunately, contemporary society makes our brains anxious. Ah, so let's go to the brain now. What happens in the brain with anxiety? All right, to understand anxiety in the brain, I'll have to introduce you to your amygdala. Now, amygdala is just a fancy Latin name that means almond because scientists who discovered this didn't have too much of an imagination and they sort of said to each other, what does that look like? No, it looks like an almond to me. Okay, so we'll call it an almond. So they didn't look too stupid. They said, okay, what's the Latin name for almond? And they found out it was amygdala. They said, that's good. That sounds really scientific. So the amygdala, which is deep inside your brain, has a lot of different functions. But the one that I'm going to concentrate on today is one important job that it has, and that is to keep you alive. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Okay. So it keeps you alive by looking for threats, or it looks like what will feel like a threat to you, like a soldier on a mission. And this is what happens when the amygdala sees or hears a threat. It talks to the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is another bit of your brain. And the amygdala says, I'm really worried. I'm really worried. I'm really worried. Hypothalamus, could you please tell the pituitary gland it's time for action? So the hypothalamus talks to the pituitary gland. The pituitary gland goes into action. It sends a message down to the adrenal glands, which sit on top of your kidneys. So now we're outside the brain. And the adrenal glands pump adrenaline, noradrenaline, and cortisol into your blood system. And some people can actually feel the spurts of adrenaline hitting them right in the center of their stomach when it gets squirted into their aorta. That's a big blood vessel in the middle of your body. And this stimulates the fight or flight response, a fast heart rate, fast breathing, blood to your arms and legs, a sharp mind, shaking, tremulous, uh, your eyes wide, being ready for action. And many of our treatments are based on calming down these reactions, deep breathing, relaxing, medication. It sounds like a bit of an army command. Yes, it is. So Sergeant Amygdala sends the notification down the line. That's right. And then things start happening. Yes. Okay, all right. But it's it's extreme what happens, really. Yes, it is. Yeah. So... um, how do I know when I'm I'm too anxious? It me, you know, me personally. When's it when's it time to see a doctor or psychologist for anxiety? To answer that question, you have to know your own normal level of anxiety. You will know yourself. You will know when all of those things that happen in your body happen too often for too long and too much. Right? So when you're keyed up, when you're stressed, when your muscles are tense, when you're irritable and jittery, when you've got a dry mouth, you can't think straight, you're short of breath, you're not sleeping properly, you're worrying, you get heart palpitations or what some people call panic attacks, when you get nausea, diarrhea and more, you may need to see a doctor or a psychologist. 
the main thing is when you can't function, when you can't get on with whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing in life, when you can't get on with your work, when you can't get on with your studies, when you can't bear seeing the kids just one more time, that's when anxiety is getting too much because we want everybody to function, to keep going in society. Now, however, I've got to let you know that the human body is resilient. It is designed to cope with stress and anxiety. It's when it gets too much, when you can't function, that it's time to see a doctor or a psychologist. How is it diagnosed? Anxiety is an umbrella term. There are a lot of different anxiety disorders. There's a separation anxiety disorder. There's a social phobia. There's panic disorder. There's agoraphobia, generalized anxiety disorder. There's obsessive compulsive disorders. There's trauma disorders, PTSD. There's a whole lot. I'm going to talk a little bit about separation anxiety disorder because in our society, we're actually experiencing more and more of it. Normally, we think of five-year-olds with separation anxiety disorder when they have to go to school for the first time and they're separated from their mothers. But you see, when we leave home, when we have a relationship that breaks up, we all suffer from separation anxiety disorder. In fact, whenever I'm away from you for more than a week, I feel that sense of separation. In fact, do you remember how our cat reacts whenever we were away for too long? Yes, he ignores us. Well, that's right. <laughs> when we get back because he's so annoyed. He's so annoyed, that's right. But he feels separation anxiety disorder. And then he hangs out around us a whole lot more. And then he hangs out around us a whole lot more. That's right. So even cats hate it when we're separated. They suffer from separation anxiety disorder. Now, it's normal to feel these things, but it can get too much. Uh, but I do want to say, don't diagnose yourself and don't rely on a podcast or the internet for diagnosis. So how is it treated? All right. Um, the main way of treating it is actually through psychology, through counselling, through a psychologist. Sometimes it's internet counselling and they use what's called cognitive behavioural therapy or acceptance and commitment therapy or problem-solving techniques or solution-focused brief therapy. Basically, these people are there to help you help yourself, and they will make you an expert in how to control anxiety. If you go to see a doctor, if your anxiety is more severe, you may need medication because there are medications that help with anxiety, but... Ideally, medications are only a short-term fix. You'll be told by everybody to limit your caffeine, get a healthy diet, make sure you sleep properly, uh, avoid drugs and alcohol, and to exercise more. These are all wonderful to help prevent anxiety and to treat it. But the most important thing is actually self-treatment, doing things yourself, things like meditation, relaxation, exercise, hanging around people, challenging your own thoughts, Handling the stress, the best question you can ask anybody who is helping you is, what can I do to help myself? But I want you to prevent clinical anxiety before you need to see a doctor. And that's what this podcast is all about. Okay, so let's talk about prevention now. What can I do to prevent an anxiety disorder? Okay, in these three podcasts, I'm giving you three ways to help prevent anxiety. The first one is monkey training. 
train your anxiety monkey with think and prepare. Now, the reason that this is the most important one is because a study in 2008 showed the importance of the amygdala, that bit in your brain that looks for threats, talking to your frontal lobe, the part of you that thinks. Your frontal lobe is thinking, your amygdala is your emotions. Your frontal lobe is Aladdin and your amygdala is Abu, your anxiety monkey. Okay, so to stop too much anxiety happening, your frontal lobe and your amygdala have to talk. Your frontal lobe thinking has to train your amygdala emotions to prepare it for threats and interpreting threats. Okay, now this is hard to do when you're feeling panicky, all right? And this is basically what you have to do. You have to calm yourself down enough to be able to say, hey, what are we jumping up and down about? Hey, what are we alarmed about? And if they can communicate together, there is less chance that you will overreact. Think and prepare. Think with your frontal lobe to prepare your amygdala monkey. Okay, so do you have to sort of stand outside of yourself and be aware of it to know this is going on, to do the think and prepare? Okay, that's a really good way of looking at it, okay? It's like there's a part of you that has to stand outside of yourself, we like to call it the observing self, and look at yourself and say, hey, what's going on here? Because as soon as you can say, hey, I'm anxious, you can do something about it. You're not caught up in the anxiety. So having an observing self or standing outside yourself means being aware and noticing what's going on inside you. And then you use self-talk, self-talk like this. Hey, amygdala monkey, what are we getting worked up about? Amygdala monkey, is there a real threat there? Now, if you're on the tarmac where the planes are actually taxiing, there is a threat there, all right? If you're behind the fence, there's no threat there. You're safe. So you always need to ask your amygdala monkey, are you making a big thing about nothing? Okay, so you want me to talk to my amygdala monkey? Yes, I want you to talk to your amygdala monkey because that's what the 2008 study showed is good for controlling anxiety. And it's easiest if you see your amygdala as a monkey because you can talk to your monkey. Remember your amygdala monkey is wired to keep on the lookout to let you know of any real threats. And if there's a real threat, you can say, thank you amygdala monkey, I will be more cautious or I will do what I need to. If there is no real threat, you can actually talk to your amygdala monkey, tell it to chill and take a few deep breaths. So if there's an exam coming up, you think and prepare. Think, what do I need to learn? What do I need to study? How can I timetable my preparation? And prepare. Practice. Train. Study. Do what you need to do. Here's the thing. Clinical anxiety doesn't need to happen to you. You can do something about it if you think and prepare. If you think and prepare, practice and train your amygdala monkey, you manage your own anxiety and clinical anxiety doesn't need to happen to you. See, remember that anxiety is normal. It's always going to be with you. Like a monkey, it can be exciting, it can help you, or it can be a nuisance. We're training it to be helpful and fun and training it not to be a nuisance. Okay, so... 
I can't get rid of it. My amygdala monkey is always going to be with me. Your amygdala monkey is always going to be with you. To get rid of your amygdala monkey, we'd have to cut out your amygdala. And believe me, you don't want that. So you want to make your amygdala monkey your friend. The trick is how you use it. So let's look at your monkey. Let's say your monkey is capable of three things. Number one, fun and excitement. Like on a roller coaster or watching a jumbo jet, your monkey can be fun. Two, it can be helpful pressure. Your monkey is on the lookout for threats and it can alarm you. And if there's something for you to think and prepare for, then think and prepare. It will help you perform well. But your monkey can also get to be too much. It can become a screeching nuisance, in which case you're heading towards debilitating anxiety and a clinical anxiety disorder. And that's what we don't want. We want think and prepare and basically to prevent anxiety. I like that because the monkey isn't actually your enemy then. Okay. No. Yeah. No. And it's there with you. It's just a matter of thinking and preparing. Yes, it is. Yes, it and is. And treating it in the right way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'll give you an example when I had to use my monkey to help me. All right. A very long time ago when I was a teenager, I took a trip with my brother and we went to Europe and we had a plane flight home, which quite frankly was the plane trip from hell. Right, There were people on our plane that were trying to escape the communist system and we stopped somewhere where there were people searching around with um, submachine guns. And then we got in the air again and we went through a terrifying storm and uh, we dropped a couple of thousand feet. Some people ended up on the ceiling. And next thing we were told that one of our engines had given out, so we're going to be delayed. We ended up getting back to Australia 48 hours late. And my brother and I literally kissed the tarmac by the time we got out. But here's the thing. We were both left with a fear of flying. We both had monkeys that would jump up and down anytime we had to get on an aeroplane. So this is what my brother did. My brother said to his monkey, come on, we're going to do a flying course with Qantas. And he did this flying course and found out how safe the Qantas jets were. And that helped keep his monkey in line. Me, what did I do? I did a bit of research and I found out what the odds are of actually dying on an aircraft. And I found out that it was actually much more common to be kicked to death by a donkey than to die on an aircraft. So all that I did was I started to look for a donkey when I got on a plane, and that would calm me down. Mind you, this took me a while, many years to get on top of. Yes, most definitely, because for a while there, I had to start an argument with you when we were taking off so that you would get distracted and not get fearful. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And that distraction helped a lot. But ultimately, I had to train my anxiety monkey. And I got to the stage where when I got onto a plane, I would look around for a donkey. And if I couldn't find one, I knew that I would probably be safe. And if I saw a donkey, I thought it's much better being in here in the plane than near that donkey. Okay, now that took a while, but what I basically did was think and prepare. Think and prepare is the way to keep your monkey under control. All right, that's how to get your amygdala and your frontal lobe talking together. Okay, but let's get really practical here. All right. 
How do I work with my monkey in these three states? All right. Firstly, first state is if your monkey is just excited and playful. Well, we kind of like that, so just enjoy it. Life is fun when your amygdala monkey is excited. Just don't wet yourself. Okay, the second state is when your monkey is being alarmist, when it's pointing out a danger to you. This is helpful pressure. Well, praise your monkey for doing that. That's what you want because it will help you think and prepare. It's good to be alarmed when there's a real danger. That's okay. It's good to be nervous for an exam. That's okay. Study, think and prepare. It's good to feel a bit edgy about a new date. Think and prepare. It's good to be stirred up about an interview. Think and prepare well. Now, the difficult situation is when your amygdala monkey is being annoying. It's being a nuisance. It's being too much. This is when you can head towards debilitating anxiety. But to prevent that, it's still best to think and prepare. So think and prepare when it stops you from enjoying life. Think and prepare when it's being alarmed and think and prepare if it's getting too much. But if you can't function, you may need to see a professional. So the thing to do is don't get trapped in the anxiety because anxiety is an emotion. Mix thoughts with it straight away. Think and prepare. If you're going out on a date and you're getting anxious, don't get trapped in the anxiety. Think and prepare. If you're getting nervous before a big game, don't get trapped in the anxiety. Think and prepare. If you're petrified because you've got an interview coming up, don't get trapped in that feeling. Think and prepare. Phew. Well, we've actually covered a lot of ground today, particularly about monkeys. Um, so what difference does think and prepare actually make in your life? So I'm going to leave you the story of two people. Both of them had a fear of heights. They were fearful walking over water, uh, going to the top of buildings or flying. Now, one has done everything that they can to avoid tall buildings, to avoid flying and to avoid heights over water. And guess what? They're still fearful of heights. The other one said, think and prepare. And over the years, they thought about what they can do step by step to get better at their fear of heights. And they made themselves do little things that they knew that they could do and get better and better. That person is now a skydiving instructor. They got over their fear of flying and fear of heights so much that they now jump out of planes on almost a daily basis. So the take-home message is this. Your anxiety is like a monkey. It can be exciting. It can be alarmist and helpful. It is there to help you. It is there to help you think and prepare. If it gets too much, the monkey becomes annoying and becomes a little nuisance. Think and prepare is the way out of it. Or if you just can't function... It might be time to see a professional, but do all that you can to train your monkey with think and prepare. Thanks for listening. We're really glad that you joined us. Next podcast, we're going to be looking at contemporary life and how it has traps that increase anxiety. And we're going to be giving you more ways 
to beat it. See you then.